Well, and here in Belize, we also have um, bats. I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but they are super important agricultural pollinators. Um, bats are like, they are basically our birds of the night. And it's really important for us in our agricultural areas to have these pollinators. We need them. We can't, a lot of, a lot of the, the fruits that we, that we grow and sell in Belize are, are, you know, bat or bird pollinated fruits. This episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Tidal Influence. Californian ecological consulting firm who proudly supports environmental education and all of the diverse conservation efforts that Pelicanus works to highlight. Visit their website at tidalinfluence.com to learn more about what they do to conserve our coastal resources and how you can get involved. On today's episode of Conservation Conversations, we talk with Vanessa Kilburn of the Toucan Ridge Ecology and Education Society, or TREES. Now, TREES is a small grassroots ecological conservation organization hosting a research and education center in the hills of Belize. The TREES Field Station and Research and Education Center functions as a wildlife ecology research and education center focusing on tropical ecology research and post-secondary education. However, they strongly believe that ecological conservation can only happen with community involvement, so they also provide a wide range of community programs to members of their community and involve locals in all aspects of their research and education initiatives, as well as ecological conservation. Now, we recommend watching this episode as we have amazing footage of their bat research in action. Also, check out their social media pages linked in the episode description to see more of what they do. Thank you to Vanessa and her team for their time and excitement in showing us around. Please enjoy our conversation with her. Hi, my name is Vanessa Kilburn. I am the program manager and co-director of uh, TREES, which stands for Toucan Ridge Ecology and Education Society. We are a not-for-profit organization based in Belize, and we work with uh, cultural and natural um, heritage conservation. So what does cultural and natural heritage conservation mean? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. So natural and cultural heritage conservation to me means conserving Belize's natural landscapes, of which there are some really, really beautiful ones that are still really intact, which is rare in Central America. So we're really working hard in Belize to conserve those and cultural heritage because we do have a lot of different cultures in Belize and we believe that conservation is only possible with the input of local communities. So when you say, you explain everything about natural and cultural conservation um, and the importance of it, like what, what programs have you put in place to uh, you know, install or keep, to, to keep that going? Um, well, we do, we do a lot of different things. Um, a big one for cultural conservation would be capacity building. Um, there's a lot of, there, there are not a lot of opportunities for people, especially youth, to have extracurricular activities or to learn things outside of school. And even what they learn in school is maybe not the highest education. Um, so just giving experiential hands-on learning opportunities to uh, the community around us and like the larger community of Belize, I think is one of the really important things that we do. We have some youth groups throughout the country that we work with that we bring here to teach them about 
sustainable farming. We also take them out to do wildlife ecology workshops to teach them about wildlife and you know how to work with wildlife. We've been doing that since our inception pretty much, especially with the kids in our community. And we've really noticed a change in a change in the mindset of the people that work with us here as well at Trees um, because we've had a lot of staff over the years. Most people in our area think of natural resources for consumption reasons and for subsistence living, which means to take those resources and use them for, for something that is not necessarily sustainable. Um, and we feel that at least with the, the staff that work here, they've seen people coming from abroad, they've seen people coming from within Belize that really care about wildlife and nature for the sake of those things, um, just the intrinsic value, and that's really changed their mindset. We also do a lot of research. Um, a lot of our research is joint with students. So um, we've had, every year we've run um, natural resource management internships with the University of Belize here where we've had students come and spend seven weeks on site um, studying a particular topic of their choice. And then of course we've always hosted a lot of international students to do the same thing. And so capacity building also for, for international students as well. We've had a lot of students that come through our programs that have finished their undergrad and are looking for work and are unable to find a job in their field because they don't have experience. And then with this opportunity to do an internship here, they've gone back home and they've gotten really um, good jobs in their field. Uh, yeah, so I think there's just, there's a lot of things that we do here that are, um, that are kind of related to capacity building and just promoting a culture of conservation, which I think um, is really important, especially in this rural area where there's very few opportunities for people. Yeah, I was thinking about what you said where you, the local, you know, for the most part, local people kind of think of natural resources as uh, for consumption first or only. Yeah. And my first thought was like, well, I can't blame them, right? No, of <laughs> and, course not. And for for our local to think of their land as I have this land where I can go and this is mine I can do what I want with it that usually means clearing or farming or, or whatever but to make that shift to I have this land let's make it the best possible while I can still get what I need from it. That's, that's a huge huge shift yeah it's a huge shift and I think that it's probably only possible providing people see an economic benefit to shifting. And I think that that's what's happened with the people that have worked here because they've seen, oh, there's jobs for me if I do conservation. Like these people are actually looking to hire me to guide them in the forest to look for wildlife. So I think I think that's a big part of it. And I, I don't know that those changes, at least at the, at least for adults in the community, I don't think those changes would happen without that because yeah, of course their primary focus is to provide for their families. Tell me about this place. Tell me about where we are. Uh, tell me about, yeah, the, 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 the habitat, the, the kind of, I'm sure it's a pretty specific biome that we're in. Um, seems like we're in the Maya Mountains somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we're in the Maya Mountains. Yeah, as you can see The, the foothills of the Maya Mountains. These are the foothills. These so are the foothills. Those are the Maya Mountains right okay. behind us. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so we are, we're in the Stan Creek District of Belize. 
um, which is, we're, we're kind of on the borderline with Cayo. Um, our district, as we were talking about, used to be primarily funded by export of citrus. Now it would be tourism, although tourism in our area doesn't really exist. It's a little further south where the beaches are. Um, so where we're located, we have a very high biodiversity and probably one of the highest in the country um, because we have a lot of different habitat types in this area. And we also have high elevation habitats, which support some species that are not found elsewhere in the country. Um, and then in addition to that, we have a lot of animals, various birds, probably bats, definitely insects that migrate at like altitudinal migrations in our area as well. And it's, you know, we're right where we're located um, at 27.5 miles Hummingbird Highway. We've got, uh, we've got, we're at about 200 meter elevation and that peak behind us is 1100 meters and it is less than a mile away. So that's a huge uh, altitudinal shift in a short distance. Um, so we're actually finding species that are not thought to be in this part of Belize at all. One, I think, is because no one's looked for them here before. Um, until now, there had been, well, until we've been doing surveys here, there had been no, um, there have been no biodiversity surveys for any taxa in this area um, at all, That's which insane. seems insane. Yeah. I mean, we've had insect uh, folks from Bohart Museum in California. Oh. Yeah, so, so anyway, we've been doing insect bioblitzes here for four or five years now, and I think they've gotten, well, don't quote me because I can't remember, but like more than 20 species new to like country records wow. for, for Belize, but also at least a handful of new to science species. So there's still like stuff to find up here, which is really exciting. Um, Anything still burning? <laughs> no, not yet. I got to work on that. I got to start studying insects, I think, in order to do that. So I think there is a very specific biome thing going on right here which is because well as a result of the way the mountains are formed we get a lot of rain a lot more precipitation than maybe even all the way down in toledo district which is the highest precipitation for the country um, we don't have a weather station on site and our closest weather station is 20 miles away and the weather is just like one and a half miles down the road where our friends live it's doing something completely different yeah. oftentimes so we're in a little rain cloud and it just lends itself to high biodiversity. Um, yeah, in the, the Birds of Belize book, I read that it says like, you know, however many species, but it says an average of six are added a year. Yeah. Which is crazy to me that there's, you're still, still finding. Even, even just like migrants, we're getting new migrants every year. And oh, okay. yeah, it's, it's really, really crazy. Um, there's not many, I mean, uh, there's very, very few locations in Central America where you could still be finding new species. That's what I was thinking too. It's, like it's, it's kind of blows my mind that it's, maybe think of like traditionally ecology coming from Western societies in the UK and in the, yeah. in the US. And it's not like we're in the middle of like a, like a really hard to get to area of like Sub-Saharan Africa or something like that. It's like, it's a, it was a four hour flight for me from LA. You know, and yeah. a two hour drive, so it's not like it's that hard. It's it, very it's, strange how how little has been done here. But also, it, they speak English. Yeah. 
and everyone has been amazing. Everyone's super nice. Yeah. Everyone's very friendly and welcoming to foreigners. It's a really easy country to travel in. Yeah. It's a, I always tell people it's a really awesome introduction to traveling in a developing country. Because you get the feeling and you and you see what it's like, which I think everyone should experience at least at some point in their life, but without it being full of heart, hardships and heartbreak. heartbreak. It's yeah. really not that hard to travel here and it's, yeah, it's friendly and... What, what exact kind of research, research have you, have you, what have you been doing? What are you doing currently? And then kind of what direction are you trying to, to stick your, your head in? Yeah, so, so basically just looking at wildlife conservation as it relates to farming practices. I, I guess that's kind of the, the larger picture question that we have. And we're using bats and also we hope to use birds as well because both of these animals, well, sorry, both of these taxa have representatives that are very, very important pollinators of agricultural crops. So it's all kind of related. So those are the main the main research things we're looking at currently, but hopefully with time we'll have more. I mean, we're looking at getting another PhD student as well that could um, promote or to work on a corridor project. So we're also trying to coordinate with Panthera, um, who's hoping to start working in our area in the next year if they get funding um, so that we can actually potentially co-manage, um, have, have some co-management of these forest reserves and maybe put them into park status and actually have some sort of enforcement in our area for illegal slash and burn farms and illegal uh, hunting, which happens a lot here and everything basically. It's kind of a, a no man's land because there's nobody here overseeing anything. Um, and so part of that project would be uh, putting in a big camera trapping study and looking at movement of wildlife through this section of the corridor because we're actually um we are actually right in the center of the original historical mesoamerican biological corridor so our our property is actually right through that so we do have a lot of wildlife moving through and i actually took um i took field camera photos to the panthera people a few weeks back um that i hadn't even had time to look at and we just quickly processed the photos in her office, um, in Emma's office. And I think we had three or four jaguars passing through our property in a six-month period. Wow. So there's a lot of movement through our area, and they are most likely moving between Coxcomb Bays and Jaguar Preserve and the northern protected areas. So Panthera had been working a lot on their, their northern corridor, um, through this, like the Central Belize corridor, and now they're hoping to expand that project down to this area. So they're most likely males. I think there were two or th if there were, I can't remember if there's three or four, but two or three of them were males, and one of them was a female. That means that you have a resident nearby. Yeah, we're well. We're certain we have a female resident. We've seen in the past. We've seen the same jaguar on the camera many, many times. It's funny how like I don't know. You mentioned all this really cool research. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And ja jaguars, really? It's like, <laughs> it's like everyone does the same thing. Like, it's as cool as everything else is. Like, it's actually for conservation. It's actually more cool. But whatever you, oh, it's a jaguar. Oh, it's crazy. I re I remember the very first time I saw a picture of a jaguar on one of our field cameras. It was very early on, and I had gone out to look look at some breeding um, 
toads this evening and I had gone out on, on my own because I was here by myself in the early days we were it was just Matt and myself here all the time so I like went down to the river and I spent a bunch of time down there and I was looking at all these toads and I, I walked back up and the next morning I walked down to check my camera trap and I saw me walking by and then less than 20 minutes later a jaguar walking the opposite direction the exact same spot I mean he had to have been there while I was out there and he most likely knew I was there so it's crazy I mean and that's only like 300 feet down the hill that's right away like that's just at the bottom of the hill from the cabins um, you have this research station for bats and you do all the really interesting work and you know, you've got all this really cool footage of handling big small bats you know getting trying to trying to bite through my glove all that um you know, basically the question is, why? Why do we want bats? Why, why are bats important? Um, other than just like they're really cool. Yeah, and I mean, it's tricky because a lot of people don't intrinsically like bats. A lot of people intrinsically fear bats. Um, especially like, I mean, we do have, we do have some bats that are pretty detrimental to livestock. Um, and people's security. Bats, right? I mean, yeah. that pig is ravaged, has been ravaged by vampire bats. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's not that easy to convince people to like bats or to care about bats. Um, but there are, you know, there's there's one example of a bat that is not good for people, and that's only one species of, I don't know how many are in Belize, like close to 90. The vast majority of bats that we have here are, like, incredibly important for humans in a lot of ways because they eat a lot of like huge masses of of insects including biting flies that people don't like um so that's really important and so we we tell people that because that's the, probably the biggest thing like well do you like mosquitoes <laughs> no nobody likes mosquitoes now, obviously mosquitoes here are also very big vectors of disease so that's a really easy selling point for bats is to tell people that well, they eat mosquitoes, and maybe they maybe don't eat nearly as many mosquitoes as we'd like. They eat a lot of other stuff, too. But um, they do keep the insect populations down. Well, and here in Belize, we also have um, bats. I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but they are super important agricultural pollinators. Um, bats are, like, especially the fruit bats that we have, like the phyllostomid family with the leaf noses. They are basically our birds of the night. I mean... The nectar-feeding bats are the hummingbirds. Um, a lot of the, the fruit-eating bats are the fruit-eating birds. Like, they, they play the exact same role. Um, they There's a lot of plants, actually, that bloom at night and not during the day. So they're pollinating different plants um, as well. And it's really important for us in our agricultural areas to have these pollinators. We need them. We can't... A lot of, a lot of the, the fruits that we that we grow and sell in Belize are, are, you know, bat or bird pollinated fruits. So. They just look like demons. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. And yeah. I think like historically everyone always thought that all bats were vampires, right? And then they always think that they fly into your hair and they think they fly into your face. But I mean, bats are, bats are like the least likely animal to do those things because they can like literally see exactly where your face is with their crazy echolocation. Yeah. Like they're not, they can't, unless they want to, which yeah. they don't, they're not going to be able to fly into your face. <laughs> yeah, and you know, that may be 
I feel like that's starting to change because at least in North America, you're starting to see uh, labels. They're actually kind of a cool looking label on tequila. It's like bat from mm-hmm. tequila. Right. And yes. So that, I think that can that's starting to like make that shift paradigm shift into people who don't care about conservation. They just like tequila or coffee that's bird friendly or you know those things. Those things are starting to become more commonplace. Yeah, and on the East Coast, anyway, of North America where white nose syndrome has hit the bat populations hard, that's been a big wake-up call to people. Like even, I mean, my parents care about conservation because I care about it, but they, you know, they don't, they're not educated in the topic and they would not think about bats otherwise. I guess the silver lining of COVID too is um, you know, people are being, becoming more aware of zoonotic diseases and the, the, the relationship that we as, even in like Western here, obviously, you have a relationship with wildlife, but you know, in the middle of this Los Angeles, you have a relationship because you get your food from somewhere that yeah. you know is pollinated by some species of animal, most yeah. likely. But what gives you hope? What makes you, uh, when you get up in the morning or when you do get after existential <laughs> issues, what is it that makes you kind of go, yeah, I'm going to go do that, or I'm going to work on this, or, or, but I got that coming, or something. Uh, that's a very hard question to answer. Um, I guess I feel that I live in a place of my own creation, which is cool, and most people don't have that. And and so I feel really um, I feel really grateful for that and really lucky. And I feel like I live in a country that is in a lot of ways maybe 20 or 30 years behind the rest of the world and and I feel like it's not too late to change things here and it's not too late for things to go in the direction they've gone in places that I don't really want to be in. Um, I have a lot of friends that live here that are doing really great work and I'm lucky that I live at a place that, I mean, attracts a lot of crazy people, mm-hmm. but also attracts a lot of really amazing people that are doing really good things. And so as a, as a, a, po- a subset of the population, I see, I see people that believe in conservation. They believe that the world's not so far gone that there isn't still hope. Like most of the people that come here are are either practicing conservation biologists or practicing agriculturalists or or their students in training and most of the people that come are living their life in such a way that they are actually doing good for the world and so i get to be surrounded by all those people and so it's a lot easier to feel hopeful about the state of the world and i guess that's what keeps me going just the fact that I know that there are lots of people out there doing really good things, and I'm one of them. <laughs> With the infrastructure that you have in place here, how can our viewers, listeners, uh, help? Can just is it just like a, a come down and visit and jump in and help? If they're a student, do they come? If they're a grad student, um, so yeah, I guess. I think that everybody can help in a lot of different ways. Um, 
anyone that has the financial means to help us out with donations um, for our different programs. That's a huge help. Um, those people may or may not actually be able to make it here. Um, we actually just started a, a membership program, which is called the Toucan Club. So if anybody wants to become a member of the Toucan Club and support us that way, um, you get a bunch of perks, um, but you also get to be a part of our annual general meetings and have some say over the programs that we choose to do for the year and, and how we go about them. Um, so that's a kind of a tangible way for people that can't really travel or, or can't necessarily help in a, in a hands-on way. Um, the people that, that want to come and get their hands dirty can always come and help us um, as volunteers if they want to come and work with us on our farm projects or if people have a real community mind, um, community focus work. Um, we've got all these new programs that we're hoping to get started in the near future, which will be very like focused on community development. Yeah, so that and also grad students, researchers, um, universities that want a more formal partnership. We're really looking for that. Like we really need uh, partnerships with institutions that want to start long term research programs with us. Um, and so we're open to any and all of those types of relationships and we're seeking them out now. Um, also, any um, professors uh, that have student groups that they want to run a course for in Belize. Um, it's an amazing place to come do tropical field biology or a regenerative agriculture course or a leadership community development course. And in addition to the services and programs that we offer here at our station, um, we also do logistical travel planning and we can set up all aspects of any of the courses um, so people can come and see a whole bunch of different places in Belize. And the food is amazing. And the food is amazing. So there's lots of reasons to come to Belize and there's a lot of ways people can help. Um, and we, yeah, we like any, any form of help that we can get. How can we find you? Like what website, social media? So um, our website is under www.treesociety.org. Um, we've got Facebook, Instagram. Um, those are both under, uh, well, Facebook is our full name, Toucan Ridge Ecology and Education Society. Um, I think it's funny, actually, I really don't use Instagram, so I'm not sure what our handle is. I know that we've got Birds of Toucan Ridge, which is what Matt manages for the banning station. Um, and then I think it's Trees Belize for Instagram, but that I need to check. We've also got Trees Belize Farms um, on Instagram, and we have also that for Facebook. Uh, yeah, so there's lots of different ways you can connect with us. Um, through our website or through our various social media channels. Thank you again to Vanessa and everyone at Trees. Check out their website and social media to learn more about them, visit them, and get involved. Host and producer for this episode are Austin Parker. Producer is Taylor Parker. Music was provided by A Picture Book Studios. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our page if you haven't already. It really helps us out. Thank you again. We'll talk to you next time.